0: Welcome to Episode 8 in Revelation, an Idealist Interpretation. I'm Father Ron Shibley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church and producer of this series. Revisions to this series are part of the AIC's continuing celebration of the start of its second decade on the web. The focus of this episode is the seventh and final letter addressed to the church at Laodicea. In Episode 4, I reviewed the five common literary characteristics of the seven letters. If you have not already viewed Episode 2, which is a primer on numerology and revelation, I urge you to do so since understanding how John used numerology is critical to understanding this series of programs on revelation. The seventh letter is fairly long and filled with imagery which repeats themes from Chapter 1 and also offers a prelude to themes which will come in later chapters. The church at Laodicea is generally called the lukewarm church, owing to the reference to being neither hot nor cold in verse 15. Laodicea, one of three cities in the Lycus Valley, the others being Colossae and Hierapolis, was the farthest inland of the seven churches of Asia Minor. It was founded in the early 3rd century B.C., and was mostly destroyed by the same earthquake which leveled nearby Colossae in 60 AD. Rebuilt after the earthquake, possibly in the reign of Hadrian, by the early 5th century it had become one of the largest Christian communities in Asia Minor. Tradition in the Eastern Church credits the founding of the church there to Epaphras, the friend of St. Paul who is mentioned in St. Paul's epistles to Philemon and the Colossians. This rebuilt city was completely destroyed in an earthquake near the end of the 5th century and was never rebuilt. The ruins of Laodicea are near the Turkish city of Ekisar in Benzili province. The illustration is the map of Asia Minor in the 1st century used in previous slides with the location of Laodicea circled. Now, here is Chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. The illustration for this and most of the slides in this episode is a photograph of a sheltered archaeological site in the remains of Laodicea in which the front wall of a ruined Christian church is visible. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Before I begin a verse-by-verse commentary on the letter to the church at Laodicea, I'd like to take a moment to relate the commentary to the objectives of this course on Revelation and to the companion series, New Testament Gospels. In episode 26 and episode 27 of the my focus was on chapters 1 and 2 of St. John's Gospel. I pointed out the two unique perspectives which St. John brought to his Gospel. First, that of a first-hand witness to events, and second, his highly spiritual-minded, one might say poetic, approach to storytelling. In the Gospel of St. John, chapter 1, John offered readers a powerful, condensed version of the essential truths about Jesus Christ concerning his origin, his identity, and the purpose of his incarnation, which began with those remarkable words, in the beginning. In the book of Revelation, he uses the same poetic style to offer highly focused, highly spiritual-minded accounts of scenes in the life of Christ. As I will show in the verse-by-verse, he used the last letter, the letter to the angels of the church at Laodicea, to introduce powerful images and ideas about the nature and purpose of Jesus' incarnation that have become vital parts of Christian theology. The letter begins in verse 14 with a highly spiritual-minded phrase that has always been controversial. In the opening greeting, the voice identifies himself, saying, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Of the first century writers, only John, here in Revelation 3, verse 14, uses Amen as a title of Christ, rather than in the other Gospels and Epistles, and in the Old Testament to mean, so be it. One might say that John's use is reflected in the modern usage of Amen to mean that there is nothing more to be said. The term faithful and true witness is St. John's second use of the concept of Jesus as faithful witness. John used the expression in Revelation 1 verse 5, which is his own introduction to the book of Revelation or more on the concept of witness and the possible dangers of witnessing for Christ, see episode 3 in this series. Controversy over the book of Revelation is not new, nor has it gone away. The phrase, the beginning of the creation of God, was used in the 4th century by the group known as the Arians as justification for their heretical teachings, against which the Council of Nicaea was called and the Nicene Creed composed, and in the late 19th and early 20th century by the denomination known as Jehovah's Witnesses, to mean that Jesus Christ is not the only begotten Son, but a created being. The traditional interpretation of the phrase is Pantocrator or ruler of creation, or possibly the first place of creation, or as used in Revelation 19.6, Lord God Omnipotent, commonly translated as Lord God Almighty. A traditional Christian interpretation that Jesus was present at the creation as the agent of the Father is shown on the creation dome mosaic of the Basilica of St. Mark in Venice, begun in the ninth century. In the demonstration of divine power in verse 14, I know your works, the words which demonstrate the idealist school of interpretation of Revelation, that is, that Revelation offers a message not just for John's time, but for all time. Jesus, in John's account, says he not only knows their works, but asserts in the assessment in verse 15 of the situation at Laodicea that they are neither hot nor cold, which is a reference to their faith. He labels them lukewarm. Modern literalist interpreters of Revelation have suggested that this refers to the warm springs at Laodicea compared to the hot springs at nearby Heropolis. I think that interpretation misses the true spiritual meaning of these verses, which I think John intended. The point is clarified as the assessment continues in verse 17a with the accusation that they claim to be rich and wealthy and, quote, in need of nothing. On the contrary, he says in verse 17b, they are, quote, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. In the Confession in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer, Nearly the same phrase is used to describe the wicked condition of sinful mankind. The threatened punishment for the assumption of wealth when they are spiritually naked and weak is to, quote, vomit them out of his mouth. The Greek word in which the NKJV editors decided to translate as vomit is emeo. It is less colorfully translated as spit in the ESV version, and equally colorfully translated as spew, spelled S-P-U-E, in the King James version. It is a similar image, if a more theatrical one, than the threat to punish the wayward by the removal of the lampstand for the Church of Ephesus. As I discussed in episode 5, the modern word for such a rejection is excommunication, or in Eastern Church terms, to be declared anathema. The corrective action in verse 18 should be understood in the spiritual rather than the literal sense. The three commercial products named should be seen as previews of the powerful imageries that John used later in Revelation in which, as I demonstrate in later episodes, have their origin in the apocalyptic writings of the later Hebrew prophets. All are commercial products which were readily available in Laodicea. First, gold refined in the fire that you may be rich in verse 18. Refined gold symbolizes purity, The image figures prominently in Western church celebrations of Advent season. The full text of the Advent wreath ceremony is available in the AIC publication, Occasional Services for Anglican Worship. Second, white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be exposed in verse 18. White is a symbol of both purity and holiness. Nakedness symbolizes spiritual poverty and echoes the words of the Genesis account of the state of Adam and Eve before and after their disobedience as described in Genesis 2, verse 25, and Genesis 3, verse 7. Finally, anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see in verse 18. Here the meaning is spiritual darkness calling upon the image of having eyes to see based upon the prophecy of Isaiah 6, verses 9 and 10, and quoted in Matthew 13, verse 15. St. Paul called for his readers to open, quote, the eyes of your understanding, unquote, as part of, quote, being enlightened, unquote, to the truth of the Christian faith, in Ephesians 1, verse 18. At the end of the passage, he rebukes and chastens and advises those he loves to be, quote, zealous, unquote, and to repent, in verse 19. The closing promise in the letter is in two parts. Part one is verse 20, illustrated by a mid-19th century oil on canvas titled The Light of the World, by William Holman Hunt. In verse 20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. This is similar to the idea of the open door in the letter to the church at Philadelphia in chapter 3, verse 4. This verse was a favorite of John Chrysostom, Bishop of Constantinople in the late 4th and early 5th century, who rephrased it into a liturgical prayer, emphasizing that Jesus knocks at the door asking admission, but we must open the door. Scholars have noted that in the Hunt painting there is no knob on the door, symbolizing the fact that it opens only from the inside. We must open it to allow him in the verses are i think the voice of st john poetically invoking the traditional invitation to communion with god spoken in the holy eucharist liturgy the illustration is an illumination in gold and tempera on parchment from a collection of homilies of st john chrysostom which show bishop nisiphorus on one side of John Chrysostom and the Archangel Michael, on the other, from a collection published at Paris in the 11th century in the collection of the Bibliothèque Nationale in Paris. Part 2 of the Closing Promise is an invitation to those who overcome, a familiar theme in many of the letters in chapters 2 and 3. To them he offers a reward, the privilege of sitting down with Christ on his throne at the right hand of the Father in verse 21. The closing line to the letter is a form of summary of the letters to the seven churches. He who has an ear, let him hear. In these seven letters, John has reminded readers that everyone has ears, but not everyone listens. Like the Laodiceans, the modern world is lukewarm in its enthusiasm for the traditional teachings of the church. As noted in the letter to the church at Ephesus, the first letter, discussed in episode 5, we have abandoned our first love. While we think of ourselves as rich and in need of nothing, we prove daily by our actions that we remain, as in the letter to Laodicea, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Thank you for joining me for episode 8 of Revelation, An Idealist Interpretation. Next time in episode 9, I begin discussion of chapter 4 and John's vision of the throne of God. Other AIC resources on topics discussed in this episode, other than the Bible study video series New Testament Gospels mentioned earlier, include from the AIC Christian Education video series The Nicene Creed, presented in eight episodes, the declarations concerning Jesus Christ are discussed in episode 4, 5, and 6 with the additions made in 381 A.D. at Constantinople, discussed in Episode 7. From the AIC Christian Education video series, The Lives of the Saints' first series, St. John, whose feast day is December 27th, is the focus of Episode 4, and St. Paul, whose feast day is January 25th, is the focus of Episode 5. From the Christian Education Video Series The Lives of the Saints, second series, Saint John Chrysostom, whose feast day is January 27th, is the focus of episode nine, with his seven nocturne prayers read in episode ten. In the companion book to this series, Revelation and Idealist Interpretation, presented in 214 pages, with 52 illustrations, 51 of them from the Bamberg Apocalypse. The letter to the church at Laodicea is found in chapter 3 and illustrated on page 42. In the writing Prophets of the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah, quoted in the discussion of Revelation 3 verse 7, is discussed and illustrated in part 2, chapter 1, on pages 13 to 20, with a text box, Isaiah in Christian Liturgy, on page 16. In layman's lexicon, key words of interest are angels archangels, amen, only begotten, pentacritur, and witness. In occasional services for Anglican worship, the full text of the Adventry ceremony is found on pages 171 to 176. And finally, in Christian Spirituality and Anglican Perspective, I explore the Anglican understanding of the study discipline of Christian spirituality with examples from the writings of Archbishop Cranmer, Lancelot Andrews, St. Peter and St. Paul, St. James and St. Jude. The key to accessing everything produced by the Anglican Internet Church is available at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net, where we've made it easier for you to learn about Christian education, doctrine, worship, and study using your preferred way of learning. You can watch our Bible study, Christian education, and seasonal video series using the links on either the digital library or Bible study pages. If you prefer listening, you can listen to the podcast versions of any of our videos using the links on the podcast archive page, or to our podcast homilies for all the Sundays in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer using the links on the podcast homilies page. If you prefer written works, you can access... Any of the 17 AIC bookstore publications, all but one available in both paperback and Kindle editions, using the virtual bookstore link at the bottom of the homepage, or directly using my Amazon Author Central page, https colon right slash write slash Hyphen e hyphen Shibley, everything after must be in lowercase letters. I also invite you to subscribe to my blog page at www. Anglican Internet Church, accessible through the Father Ron's Blog tab at the top or the bottom of any page on the site. By clicking the Follow Anglican Internet Church legend, you'll be invited to register your email address, and receive notice of all new postings. Please be assured that we do not share subscriber information with any other organization, and you can ask for the removal of your address at any time. Until next time, may the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Glory be to God for all things. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. We invite you to visit our website and make use of its resources at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net